Thanks for taking the time to check out this episode of Desert Island Goals. Video links to all the goals we're going to discuss in this podcast are in the description below, as well as social media profiles for myself, the podcast itself, and our guest. Please take the time to follow us all right now. There is a good chance there will be some strong language at some point during this podcast, just letting you know that ahead of time. And please take the time right now to give us a five-star review on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Cheers. Okay. Hello. Welcome along again to another episode of Desert Island Goals. I am your host, Callum Squires. And joining me today is a very special guest, someone that I've known for a ridiculously long time at this point, getting towards 25 years of friendship, basically, which is insane in saying it out loud. And our very special guest today is Alex Addington. Alex, thank you for taking the time to join us. First things first, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Been waiting to get on this for a while. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're glad to have you with us. I know this is going to be a good conversation from start to finish. You know, for people who do not know you like I do in real life, we always start with a little introduction about yourself and you as a football fan. So for the people listening around the world, where are you from? And what are your earliest memories of being a football fan? Yeah, how do I get into football? I guess me and you, Cal, I guess that's where you talked about our friendship going back 25 years. I guess that's a lot of it's got got to do with football, hasn't it? Growing up in the Anton household, you can be anything but a gooner, basically. Yeah, it's kind of jumped into you from when you're when yeah when you're super young. And yeah, forever supported Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal was with my yeah with my extended family, with my with my brother and my dad. A lot of the time with the family is yeah sort of centered around Arsenal, isn't it? Going to watch Arsenal at the pub, FA Cup final day. We've had a lot of those. Yeah, so it's kind of brought, it was kind of something that I was born into, not something that I chose. Completely right. I mean, your family is as big a Guna family as anyone I've ever met, and. You know, from from the moment that we kind of became friends, age four, you know, I vividly remember your dad and your brother and you being about as into Arsenal as anyone I've ever met. So I guess then, I guess from your dad's origins as an Arsenal fan, and then how that influenced you. What's what's so your my, earliest memory in terms of an so Arsenal dad's, fan? Well, this is going to come up in my goals, man. This is this is one of the goals. I think it's the first one that I've got noted down. My dad's got a funny story about the Arsenal. I mean. For the listeners, my granddad was a very sort of quintessential Englishman uh, into his gardening, into his reading. He's got a funny story about him and him and my dad were walking through Clissold Park, which is just around the corner from Highbury, uh, the old Arsenal ground. Well, my dad must have been about six, six or seven. And they saw a bunch of men sort of walking in file to some location. And my granddad sort of said to my dad, age six or seven, let's go and, yeah, let's go and follow them, see where they are. I ended up going to Highbury, and I guess that's where my dad's love affair with the Arsenal came about. I think my granddad forever regretted that decision. My dad's got stories of, of them going to the North Bank, North Bank Highbury. Granddad sitting there in the um, in the aisles with a with a book. Could you believe it? <laughs> While there was about fifty thousand fifty thousand fans in the stadium, granddad took no interest in it at all. From that, from from then on, my dad, yeah, I think went almost every other week to the Arsenal when he was old enough, started going to away games. And yeah, I guess I guess from my from, from it becoming such a massive part of my dad's life. I mean my dad actually met my mum at an Arsenal game as well. It's very sort of intertwined. My dad and my uncle, Panico, shout out to Pan. 
Uh, he's definitely going to get this this podcast sent over to him. Uh, yeah, they, <laughs> they 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 used to go to the Arsenal quite a lot. I think they went to the same college. And then I think yeah, my mum my mum saw saw my dad wanted to go to a couple of games with uh, Pan, who's her brother. And yeah, that, that's how that's how my dad and my mum met. So yeah, it's really sort of intertwined with the with my family history. It's amazing how something that is, I guess, quintessentially abstract in a football club can be so integral in all of our lives, but especially in yours when you're talking about your parents' meaning of the football and everything that has kind of led you in your life and the experiences that you've had ever since. 100%. Obviously, growing up in North London in what I would call the height of kind of the Arsenal glory days, at least in recent yeah. years, in terms of the Arsene Wenger era, you know, you and I are both children of the 90s and the Arsenal the peak of the Arsenal success under Wenger, you know, 94 to 2006, sorry, 97 to 2006, you know, that's an incredible period of kind of Arsenal fandom history. What was it like growing up in North London at that time? It was good, it was good days, obviously. We had a lot, I guess it didn't really, and that's, it's interesting as well, because a lot of, uh, I think more for, so more for like my dad and that generation. Arsenal were not a mediocre team. They were a good cup team, essentially. They won a few leagues here and there, but it wasn't. they didn't enjoy the sort of success that Wenger brought. And then for those early days, I think Wenger was an absolute revolutionary, wasn't he? Like, just changed the game of English football. That guy, and I mean, a lot of Arsenal fans sort of fell out of love with him towards the end. I think people are sort of re... Now that, now that it's... I don't know, now that we've got a bit more time to reflect on it and whatnot, I think people are sort of more can look at it less emotionally and can see the sort of benefit that he brought to the Arsenal. I mean, it turned very poisonous towards the end of his reign. But it, I grew up with Arsenal, like you said, I guess challenging, man. Like being, what is Ar- Arsenal and United first and second, whichever way it went, it was always a title race, wasn't it? And it was, um, yeah, I guess, okay, yeah, I guess I've had, had a bit of a crash down to reality in recent years. <laughs> But it's formative. That's what I tell myself. And man, I think we're on a good run at the moment. I think we're yeah. Hopefully, the glory days are coming back in, back to North London, man. You know, we're definitely going to talk about the here and now towards the end of this for sure, and how you know the start Arsenal have had to this season and how good it's been. I guess then you know transitioning from you as a childhood Arsenal fan, you know, like you said, a lot of these goals are gonna we're gonna talk about that period that we were just speaking about. How hard was it for you to make this list? And were there a certain set of parameters that you used in terms of deciding which goals ended up on your final five? Yeah. So it was incredibly difficult. I mean, I spoke to you about 20 minutes ago, mate, asking almost wanted to change a few of my goals, to be honest. Because I don't have any FA Cup final goals. And for, man, for, there are a few better things than an FA Cup final day in North London like that if I asked her in the FA Cup final I mean spirits are high you're in the pub at midday everyone's getting do you know what I mean Everyone, like real good yeah, yeah. good vibes and as he, uh, like and that's something that is something that I do I don't know I really I, I really sort of absolutely love that about the Arsenal man that's something that's that sort of communal that family vibe that you get yeah it's great what went into the decision-making process to choose the final five? Oh, the t- oh memories. Had to be memories. Because I think there's a lot of... 
going back to my dad and my brother, they they were trying to get their aura into a couple of these selections. And there were a few <laughs> ones that I could have I could have chosen I could have chosen stuff that maybe was a bit more iconic in terms of Arsenal's history. I'm thinking Thomas eighty nine. I mean, my dad. Was hey, we'll have, we'll have, we can, yeah, we can have your dad and your brother on here as well, and they oh, goals. Mate, they're itching to get on, itching. But yeah, I guess it was memories, really. Like sort of thinking, thinking back to where I was when I, when I, when I saw the game. Favorite players, which again, I've missed. I mean, I, before I got in there, I just can't believe I haven't got a Burkamp goal in there. <laughs> yeah, which is real sort of sacrilege. I mean, five, five goals is not that many. It's very, it's it's a it's very not, limited number, deliberately, you know. Yeah, you read, yeah. When you think how many goals, how many goals have you seen in your lifetime as an Arsenal fan, you know, watching football, the two of us, since 1997 that we can probably remember, and then we've probably both seen videos from before we were born or before we were really able to remember. Yeah, so, you know, you're talking tens of thousands of goals that we've seen. To pick five is a very, very difficult thing to do. Of course, but I think I think also it's quite interesting. This was it wasn't intentional at all. But when I was looking back at the list, I don't think I've have I got a goal there that's after two thousand six. I think I think the latest I've got no. is two thousand six, which says a lot, man. And there's been some great it memories post two thousand six. But the fact that I the fact that all the goals that I chose were before, I don't know. I guess Arsenal started to have that more. Well, no, well, well, Chan, I guess as soon as Mourinho came in, man, as soon as the Brambridge came in and ruined ruined English football. So I think that says a lot. And it is interesting because I guess they're great memories, the, one, the goals that we're going to talk about. There's something that I do kind of envy about. Maybe my, my, my dad, um, yeah, my dad and my brother sort of being a bit older when a lot of these happen. I don't know, it kind of feels like as a, as a kid, maybe you're you're watching them in sort of, you're sort of sh- uh, sheltered from maybe the, the carnage that could kick off after you've won a league or after you've done, you know what I mean? You're back home at, what, 10 o'clock in bed, you know, sort of reminiscing or what whatnot, but you're not, you're not out there, which, which has happened since in FA Cup final days and whatnot. You go, you go celebrating into the early hours and it's lovely. Yeah, uh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, mem- memories, um, but all pre-2006 memories when I would have been, what, 12. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it does tell a certain story, I guess, of, you know, kind of the history of Arsenal in our lifetime um, and the change and the transition, like you said, when, you know, Mourinho and Chelsea money came in and how mm. and how English changed as a result of that. And obviously now, you know, you're talking about Man City money and then potentially in five years from now, we'll be talking yeah, about Bram- Newcastle. Money. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Chelsea get let off the hook a lot because I feel like that would have been about 10, maybe 11 when that it was- when that 2003 when Granovic bought Chelsea, yeah, 2003. Yeah, I mean, that just, I couldn't imagine being, if that happened now, and that was the first sort of billionaire that over that took over a club and that hadn't gone on before, like, that was that was real game-changing stuff. Because well, Chelsea were half an hour, like, oh, man, hate that club. Like, that, that they ruined, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely ruined. I don't know if it's made it, or has it made it a more lame, I guess... I was going to say maybe it's made it a more level playing field in, now, in that now almost everyone's getting bought over by billionaires. So, like, money's becoming... Even though you've got the cities, you're going to have Newcastle coming up. Whereas Man, Man United were just the richest club in, in England, let alone probably Europe even. Do you know what I mean? And they, they could afford anyone they wanted at that point. And now I guess you've got 
you've got a whole bunch of teams that are kind of on a similar have similar sort of financial resources. So I guess that yeah, there could be an argument to say that there's that it's enabled the cities of this world to actually have a chance of winning the league. And the Newcastle yeah. fans to actually start dreaming about winning the league and whatnot. Whereas I guess the area that we grew up in loving loving our respective teams, it was very much a two horse race. Like you didn't it was Arsenal United for what, since ninety what, ninety seven until about two thousand and five? Until Abramovich yeah. came in. So you're looking at a good so, like eight years. Yeah, nine so ninety seven ninety seven, ninety eight. You know, Arsenal won it in 98, United won it in 99, 2000, 2001, Arsenal won it in 02, United 03, Arsenal 04, and then Chelsea win it in 05. And that's mm. really when, I guess, things change, really. So you're talking, yeah, 97 to 04, those seven, oh, sorry, 98 to 04, those seven league titles are split 4-3 in United's favour, but it was, every season was decided by what? I think there was only, there was one season where United ran away with it and every other season was fairly tight except for obviously on the Arsenal side, the Invincible season was fairly was fairly. But mate, that is a lot tighter than it should have been. I yeah. find it amazing <laughs> when you look at the points total, man. When you look at the points total of that, it's unbelievable because you've got, what, you've got cities and Liverpool's now getting, what, 90, upper yeah, echelon I to mean, the 90s. We used to win the league in like the mid-80s at most, you know, like so 80 Maybe that points. goes against what I was saying earlier. Because I was saying it's creating well, more of a level playing field, but actually you've got clubs that are just... 90 points. Do you know what I mean? That's It's pretty... Yeah. But it is what it is. I'd hazard a guess that it might not be more than Man City who get 90 points this season. Over Mars. This is Shuka. Oh, and Kanu didn't want it there. Shut it. Well, it's broken the Kanu's way and Dehu is right out of the centre. It's Kanu. What's he going to do? Oh! Can you believe it? He's flattened Chelsea. He's hit a hat-trick at Stamford Bridge. Okay, goal number one. Alex's first goal is an unbelievable goal in what is a quite remarkable game from 1999. So we're going way back, way back, way back. Way back. October of 1999. And Arsenal. What, five and a half years old? Yep. And already yep. down the pub with all my extended family, mate. <laughs> well, this is the, this is the reason I chose it, Matt. Like honestly, I think I think you were talking about why have you chosen these goals. I think I think this is realistically my first memory of of of, of Arsenal. So in this game, this is Arsenal travelling to face Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And in this game, Arsenal had somewhat surprisingly fallen behind 2-0. This is not the Chelsea, as we referenced earlier, of the Roman Abramovich era. This is a Chelsea team that were perennially finishing, I guess, third to fifth, I think it's fair to say, in the Premier League, but without mm. ever really challenging for the title itself. Uh, Chelsea go 1-0 up through Torre Andre Flo, who himself is an underrated Premier League player. And then yeah, Dan Petrescu. Yeah, Torre Andre Flo is a great player. And then Dan Petrescu, probably the greatest Romanian export to the Premier League, uh, puts Chelsea 2-0 up after 52 minutes. With less than 15 minutes to go, Arsenal are 2-0 down. Enter Kanu, the yeah. maverick Nigerian. And Kanu would score a hat-trick in the last 15 minutes, culminating with this third goal, which is the one that Alex has chosen here. And Arsenal would find a way to come from 2-0 down with 15 minutes left at Stamford Bridge. 
to win the game 3-2. Alex, you've already said in the pub watching this as a five-something-year-old. Firstly, which pub was letting you in to watch this, age five? Uh, no, that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, talk me through your memories of Mate, the day so the- and then go looking back. So the, what was so great about the game was I must have been I was yeah what five and a half tiny it's almost it's actually mad that I can remember it so clearly but we were in uh the, there's a pub in Stoke Newington that I think mate was where you spent your 18th birthday as well or down the road <laughs> do you know that pub in, do you know that pub that's on the corner there yep. so they were showing the game man and I was in there with uh so what is my dad's mum would have been alive then. And we're watching the game. We're watching it on like a uh, a real shabby, there's a real dodgy TV screen that's on cutting out. And that's what brought the glory to the goal, man, is that the got uh, Carney, the ball went out to Carney on the left hand corner. And the TV, you got you got De Hoy, who's a keeper. You got De Hoy running out to try and charge down Carney, and then the the screen went blank. And then next it comes on about Maybe two seconds later, and the ball's just nestling in the net. And some bloke in the pub, I remember it so clearly, went down on his back. And all the all of the all of the guys in the pub, probably me included, at five, throw my my coke or water <laughs> into his mouth, lay down on the table, and everyone was like throwing pipes into his mouth and whatnot. And it was cut. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those ones where you look back, and I think you know about my love with Cardi. We've got, we've got, we've got a beautiful. Me and Callum, for the listeners, have got a beautiful photo of him, number seven Beckham, me number twenty five Carney, sat watching. Is it, is it the Michael Owen? Yeah, the Michael Owen soccer school, (laughs) the famous Michael Owen soccer school video. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that that was taken in probably it's got to be ninety nine or two thousand realistically. Wow, picture was taken, but you know, in my front room of, you know, me as Beckham and you as Carnu. And yeah, I mean, I, it's funny because I, I remember Carnu, who I think was... What I think a player. To say, what a player. I think he's, he's a little Doesn't bit of an unsung hero. He deserves. Yeah. It's really hard for Carnu to stand out as an elite level player. Just, but I think man. in this game, he shows it. I mean, this hat-trick, we're talking about the third goal, but this hat-trick is an unbelievable hat-trick. All three oh, goals. Oh, dude. The second goal. The yeah, second the first goal. touch on the second goal. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable, man! And it beats the Hoyt as near post. Um, yeah, Car- this is this is what I mean. That that Arsenal team. I know Will Tord was a bit later, but you've got yeah a lot of those players. Like Carnu would be the Carnu would be the superstar in the Arsenal team now. Do you know what I mean? Now we were just so blessed. And again, that's probably that's probably credit to Wenger. Actually, I don't think Carnu was. He wasn't one of his. Carney, I think, was quite well known. He'd won the he won the league with Ajax. Oh, the Champions League, sorry, with Ajax. So I think he was kind of like a quite known around Europe at that time, is it? Yeah. But what a hatchet. Last fifteen minutes as well, as you said. Unbelievable. So the th- so the third goal, obviously, like you said, it starts kind of in a, a, I think Chelsea lose the ball in the middle and it kind of spins out to the left where Carnu actually chases down and blocks a clearance. From I think it's Albert Ferrer, who was the Spanish centre-back for Chelsea at the time. Carnu then down the line, all the way to the byline. And then out of nowhere, Ed De Hoy, who you referenced yeah. as the Chelsea, the Dutch keeper. Ed De Hoy comes flying out of his goal what for some unknown reason. <laughs> and so this is a question I needed to ask you is, obviously the moment itself still stands up. The the goalkeeping in this is, is shambolic. To put it politely. 
Granted, yeah. granted, but mate, still two people on the line that Carnu's got to lift it over from an angle yep. that is fairly, yeah, acute, it's a very yeah. cute, <laughs> acute angle. Do you know what I mean? And he, and he lost it, over, and I don't think there are any mugs that are on the line. That was Desai and Leboeuf, isn't it? That he yeah, it's over. definitely. Definitely, I think it might be Leboeuf. Uh, yeah, it could, it's either it's either Babayaro or Desai that gets back with Leboeuf right. on the line. That was the year of the um, Desai, man. But yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Desai, I mean, Chelsea, Chelsea had a back five in this game of Graham Lasseau, Albert Ferrer, Frank Leboeuf, Celestine Babayaro, and Marcel Desai, which is by no means a bad uh, a bad back five, if we're honest. Yeah, um, but yeah, Kanu completely makes them look ridiculous. And it's the way that he stands up De Hoy, kind of shimmies past him on the byline, and then puts it into the back post. And again, this goal for me, looking back at it now, the iconic Martin Tyler commentary of, can you believe it? Which yeah, you have to wonder yeah, if yeah, he yeah. meant it as a play on <laughs> Kanu, can you believe it? But either way, I mean, it, it's an incredible moment. And the goal itself is, is, is supreme skill from the big Nigerian. Yeah, unbelievable, man. And uh, like I said, that guy does not get the kudos that he deserves. The only, funny enough, the only other, I've got a boy, shout out my man Ollie, so, because I'll get him to listen to this. He, uh, he's a Pompey fan, and he gets a lot of, Carney gets a lot of love on the South Coast as well, because he brought, he got them, I don't know if he's got the winner in the FA Cup final, but he did something. Yeah, so Carney yeah. was given man of the match in that FA Cup final, in 2009. Guy, honestly. So we're talking eight years later, he's still winning trophies for Portsmouth, or nine years later, he's winning trophies for Portsmouth. In, in in England still. I mean, oh, he did score. Yeah, okay. Carnu scored the goal he did. in the FA Cup that final. To win the FA Cup that was like against that was Cardiff. That bloody Cardiff. retirement home, wasn't it? The Pompey team. They had Lauren. <laughs> they, had, they had a whole bunch of them. But yeah, going back to Carnu, like I remember, I remember there was some story came out that um, that when Carney first moved to the Arsenal, he was, he was at homesick. And we were at an age, Cal, when like our mums would try, they would like, get us to do kind of stuff that had no chance of ever actually having any sort of fruitful like value. And I remember my mum sat me down and was like, oh, write a card, like Carney's homesick, write a card to Carney and offer him round for afternoon tea. So I remember like getting it out and po- like posting it to hi- like Highbury, Highbury Stadium and whatnot. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I, I guess, yeah, the first sort of first player that I really fell in love with. Do you know what I mean? First player that I proper idolised. Yeah, what a player. What a guy. That's a slow one from Joe Lloyd Samuel. Jungberg, there's a ball on here for Pires. Back goes Boateng. And Robert Pires has got the better of it. And he looks to get the better of Schmeichel. Oh. And he's done it impeccably. Oh. Oh, sorry, I'm applauding. That's genius. That is genius. You don't buy them. They don't come in packets. Oh. A golden goal from a player in a golden shirt. And a golden time for Arsenal. His teammates are back in the halfway line, Mark. They're just standing applauding there. I mean, to get round Boateng was impressive enough. But to have their... The cheek, the audacity, and the ability to finish it off like this. I'll take a bow, son. That's brilliant. Okay, goal number two. And we are fast-forwarding about three years to March of 2002. 
and we're leaving the capital of London and heading to Birmingham, where Arsenal are in town to play Aston Villa. Now, this is in the midst of a title chase in 2002 that would eventually be successful and Arsenal would go on to win the league. And this is Arsenal 2, Aston Villa 1. And the goal that we're talking about is the second goal for Arsenal comes right on the hour mark and looks at the time to have sewn up the points and does end up being the winning goal. This is an Arsenal team that is littered with Premier League legends uh, and Igor Stepanovs, just out of interest. Um, <laughs> really? Did he start in that game? <laughs> it's, it's funny because the Arsenal midfield and front two are incredible. And the back four has obviously Sol Campbell and Lauren, which is great. But the other two members of the back four were Oleg Luzhny and Igor Stepanov. So getting the three points here was definitely uh, an impressive performance considering the Stepanovs and Luzhny. Right, anyone listening to the podcast, listen to Ray Parler talking about Igor Stepanovs because it's bloody hilarious. <laughs> so on the hour mark, Arsenal nick the ball in midfield and Freddie Lundberg, a very talented Swedish player, plays a wonderful cross-field pass out to the left-hand side to the mercurial Frenchman, Robert Pires. Pires loops the ball over the defender's head and then lobs Peter Schmeichel in goal for Aston Villa here, former Manchester United legend, and I think by most people's agreement, arguably the greatest Premier League goalkeeper of all time. This time, obviously, not at his peak, but he's definitely a top three Premier League goalkeeper ever without much debate. And Pires, with an absolutely just impudent finish over the top of Schmeichel and the most casual celebration whatsoever. You have to say that it's made all the better by Arsenal's incredible gold kit that they're wearing in this, in oh, this yeah. game. My biggest <laughs> regret, mate, which my brother takes the piss out of me for now, is I got, my dad used to get us a, the, the new kit every year. Um, and we got, we had that gold, gold kit and I bloody got, I got Francis Jeffers on the back of mine. Of all, the, of all the legends, <laughs> of all the legends I could have got, got numbered with number nine, Francis Shepherd. <laughs> My brother's got bloody Sol Campbell, man. Yeah, so, that was a year that Sol Campbell joined us as well. He's got Campbell 23. I got yeah. Jeffers number nine, got it. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's an incredible kit. I'm sure that Francis Jeffers kit is probably a collector's item I mean, somewhere regardless. Mate, that's all, yeah, that's what he was saying, man. I, I reckon I could probably actually sell it for a fair bit. <laughs> so take us back to, to 2002 then where were you uh, where were you watching this game what are your memories of it I know you referenced to me off camera the commentary being quite important oh, in this for you Andy oh, take Grace, us through your memories of this goal Andy Gray's commentary in this unbelievable again again I, I was in a pub in North London watching it and again like so I guess we had Carnu. if we look at my Arsenal career my Arsenal career of sort of career as a fan of Arsenal I had Carney and I very much transitioned from Carney to Bobby Pires, man. And I loved, I loved that guy. And I loved how everyone else hated that guy. Well. <laughs> the more that everyone else hated him, the more that I loved him. I remember, I, <laughs> this is a bit embarrassing, but I remember I used to have quite short, short hair as a kid, didn't I, Cal? And I remember, yeah, yeah I remember walking around. I remember sort of kicking, kicking a tennis ball in the front room. And I remember sort of, having put my hair just slightly over my ears because Bobby Pires had like gorgeous long locks and I remember walking like scoring a scoring a goal against my sofa or whatnot and then stroking my stroking my hair behind my ears like Pires used to he was easily the best player in the league in that year I mean he did that he did that one awful dive against Portsmouth he got branded as some sort of 
cheat, sort of quite a flimsy sort of very, I don't know, a stereotypical French player. I don't think that that guy got kicked to smithereens, man. And here's 2 prior to him doing his cliche ligament. I mean, he was the best. He was, yeah, next level. Unbelievable footballer. And I think that goal, that goal is such a cheeky... The the the, the move past, uh, he said it was Boateng. The move past Boateng is one thing, but then just like... Because Schmeichel's, Schmeichel's a beast, man. He's huge. And he's not very far off his line either. He's not very far off his he's line at all. He's not far off his line at all, man. And he doesn't even bother reaching. Do you know what I mean? It, it's got such a trajectory that it just like perfectly weighted. And then the cell, the wag of the finger, going back to me stroking my 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 hair behind my ears, is going around the kitchen, wagging that finger like Bobby Perez, loving it. So yeah, so I mean, like you mentioned, the the finish itself is is exquisite. But I feel like it's a, a fairly quintessential Arsenal goal of that era where it's quick, it's incisive, it's direct, yeah, but without great. being but without being route one. You know, it's not no. it's not lump it and see what happens, but it's calculated directness, if that makes sense. And yeah. I think growing up as a fan of whatever team you cheer for, you're probably likely to enjoy or not enjoy the style of football that you play. And in that you kind of a one or two season are you going to start no, I, I wanted... going to watch Arsenal? Because that would no, be... no, no. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to what I want what I want to know is your feelings about that kind of oh one oh two oh three oh four and how Arsenal went about playing the way they did to win and be successful as they were. I think we had, yeah, like you said, very quick on the counter. I think. I think what was great about those Wenger sides, and I think even even going into the late sort of late noughties, we had just exceptionally te- like technical football. Everyone was a technician. Um, that whole midfield were so good on the ball, and yeah, I guess, I guess like yeah, looking back on it, I don't think it's uh, funny enough. I think when Arsenal moved to the Emirates, there was that team with there was a te- there was a team with uh, when we had Eduardo Pleb. Uh, Riziki, Fabregas. I think they actually played, they played more of the sort of Barcelona style, but they played that really sort of ticky tacker S football short pass and move. I don't think this, I don't think Wenger's, Wenger's early team was anything like that. I think it was built with a lot of, they obviously would play the ball around, play it on the ground, but they were blokes that were over six foot, all of them. Do you know what I mean? Like big sort of athletes. Big, stronger athletes that were super powerful, super quick, and yeah, just used to overrun teams, man. It was a yeah, the glory days. It was lovely, lovely to watch. I mean, we got to give a shout out to the Andy Gray commentary. Take a bow, son. For all of Andy Gray's foibles, and he does have, I mean, he's rightfully got booted off Sky. There was there was something yeah. about that era of Andy Gray on a Super Sunday that. Do you know what I mean? There was, there was, he was sort of yeah. synonymous with it. It was, if you heard Andy Gray's voice, you was, you were pumped. You knew it was a big game. You knew you were watching something. Yeah, you knew it was going to be a, a good, uh, a big afternoon sort of thing. Yeah, again, we grew up with Martin Tyler and Andy Gray as the go-to commentary team, and so many of those goals that both our teams and all the other Premier League teams scored in that in that era 
don't feel the same if they're not commentated on by Martin Tyler and Andy Gray. No, yeah, completely right, man. Completely right. And like you said, Angry Gray obviously, you know, did some horrible things and very rightly is not given that platform anymore. But if you want to try and break it down to the most simple, you know, level possible, he had a great voice for commentary and he was very good at it. And he created memorable pieces of commentary that, like you said, take a bow, son. You know, and he, he, he says in the commentary, he says, I'm sorry, I'm applauding. And you can hear him clapping this goal yeah. because it is that good from Robert Perez. It is an unbelievable piece of score. An unbelievable goal. And the thing about the thing that was so great about Perez was that there was, I mean, technically it was unbelievable. But he was a for a winger. He was he wasn't very quick. He had a good turn of pace. He was quite quick over the first five yards, ten yards, or whatever. But he wasn't. He couldn't beat. He couldn't beat uh, an athletic fullback for pace. Yeah, man, love that man. Love that man so much. Going back to that, actually, that's a that's a good. So, so this era of Arsenal. Can you believe this, Cal? I might have told you this. I don't know if I. It would have been just before. That it was in the Christmas, man. So, like, you know, with my dad, my granddad's from the Angel. We used to spend Christmas Day over at my granddad. And me and my brother always used to ask my dad to drive past the uh, past Highbury on the way in. Crimson Park to the Angels going past. Uh, yeah, go sort of Highbury's in between the two. And we were going past on Christmas Day, dude. And there's a coach outside. And we sort of slowed down as we got to the coach. Saw bloody Pires. This must have been me. This would be me, aged seven, eight. Eight. Yeah, yeah. Walk on Christmas Day, and I saw Pires walking out the marble halls of Highbury. My dad just parked up, walked out, mate, met all my heroes, man, on Christmas Day, and that was that Arsenal team. You talk about that Arsenal team studded with stars. On, shook hands with Henri Wenger. Pires, you know what I mean, gave him a hug. Oh, honestly, man, it was it was unbelievable. Win. Sidestepping one, sidestepping two. Okay, goal number three, and we are at Highbury, perhaps surprisingly for the first time on this list, and interestingly, the only time on this list as well, as Thierry Henry scores the second goal of what becomes a hat-trick for him in this game, Arsenal against Liverpool, and this is in April of 2004, Liverpool actually taken an early lead in this game, which was somewhat of a surprise considering this was the Arsenal invincible season. And obviously in April, you're getting pretty close towards completing a full season unbeaten. Mm. Sammy Hippier gave Arsenal an early lead before Henri equalised. But then three minutes before half-time, Michael Owen, who I couldn't believe was still playing for Liverpool in 2004. I'd kind of blanked that from my memory, clearly. Um, Michael Owen gave Liverpool a 2-1 lead heading into half-time. But immediately after the break, Two goals in two minutes, within five minutes of kickoff. Robert Perez made it 2-2. And then less than a minute later, Thierry Henry danced his way through the entire Liverpool team and wow. made it 3-2. And this goal is 
about as quintessential Thierry Henry as it gets. Man. And we're going to um, talk all about the man himself when we talk, spoiler alert, about your fifth goal on this list. Yeah. But Alex, talk me through why this particular Thierry Henry <laughs> goal. I know there were a lot you could choose from, but why did this Thierry Henry goal against Liverpool make your list? You said earlier that it was a surprise that Liverpool went up in this game. It was a rocky, this is a bad week in the Invincible season. Arsenal just got knocked out of the FA, just got beaten by you lot, 1-0 in the, in the semi-final of the FA Cup. Uh, on the Wednesday, on the Wednesday before that, I think we we got knocked out of the Champions League with a Wayne Bridge. So this is like Arsenal were obviously doing the bits in the in the league and suddenly got knocked out of all the cup competitions and found themselves two one down against Liverpool. I was at the grounds, man. This this is when me and my uh, me and my brother used to share a season ticket. Honestly, like, it felt like everything was crashing down. And I obviously got a glimmer of hope with, uh, I think, did Henri even set up the Pires goal as well? Or he's definitely integral to it. Yeah, then, it's listed It's listed as a Freddie Lundberg assist, but I think okay. he was involved in the move. Yeah, yeah. So he, yeah, this is um, this is when, it sort of cements Henri and legend sort of stuff like this, man. He just sort of picks up, picks up the ball in a so deep as well. This is what, Henri very much changed he wasn't a conventional striker, was he? He's kind of played, dropped so deep. Was playing almost behind Vieira. He picked up the ball behind Vieira and took yeah. past about five, what five Liverpool players left Carragher. And- yeah, so yeah, so I I I I've watched obviously all the goals as I do in you know preparation for this, and you know like you said, he's basically almost playing in a holding midfield role when he picks up the ball kind of on the edge of the D in the he- center circle. He goes past Di Mahaman who was a good midfielder, like he wasn't there. And then he makes Jamie Carragher twist so much that (laughs) Carragher takes out Igor Bishkan, who's one of Liverpool's centre-backs. And Carragher and Bishkan run into each other. And Henri is just then left face-to-face with Jersey Dudek. And he coolly, as if there's no stress whatsoever, just plants it past him. Strokes it in. That Henri finish as well. Henri finish, yeah. That Henri opens his body up, slots it in, far corner. He talks talks about the goal. Like, obviously, I mean, as you can imagine, as an Arsenal fan, I've watched a lot of season reviews and I've sort of rewound the season reviews of that season quite a lot. And Henri talks about it. And it is right. At the ground at half-time, it was dead. Do you know what I mean? It was real... There's like palpable anxiety. Um, and yeah, just need a bit of magic, man. And this guy, and he did it, he did it time and time again. He's, he doesn't do anything that's so extraordinary. There's no so, such like extraordinary skill. He sort of drags the ball one way and the other. But I think that was, Henri in that era just terrified people because he was so quick. He was so skillful that you were almost, it almost looked like the defenders were more scared of what he might do rather than what he's actually doing. Do you know what I mean? So he, he's 100%. A hundred, but yeah, just an amazing goal, man. And just, yeah, cue the celebrations in the East stands. Quite comfortably the best team in Europe. That was a year that Porto won the Champions League. I mean, and, and think about the, what the domino effect that led Mourinho becoming a household name. I mean, all the things that could not, we might not have had to endure had Wayne Bridge not scored that goal. That was the real pinnacle of being an Arsenal fan because we were so good. So, so good. 
I think, you know, you, you make a point that, like, I think that's pretty much looks like you're then going to go undefeated because the, the games that you still had left in that season, Newcastle, Leeds, Birmingham, Portsmouth, Fulham, Leicester, and obviously Tottenham away, which we're going to get to, again, spoiler alert, later on. But yeah, that would definitely have been probably the one that you look at and think, if we get through this, we've got a really good chance of going undefeated. Obviously, the league itself is wrapped up a few weeks later. I, it, it's an incredible goal. And, you know, Carrick has spoken about how Henri, like you said, just terrified people, himself included. And Thierry was absolutely unplayable in that season and at that point for a long time in the Premier League. You what mentioned do you think, where you Cal, with the, What do you think about Sorry, the argument that he never used to... Because this is something my dad, for, for how much I love him, he does spout a lot of nonsense sometimes. He says that he doesn't really turn turn up in the big games. And I think these sort of goals get overlooked to Armory. Because granted, all right, there's a, there's a line that he never scored, in a, never scored in the final for the Arsenal. But how, how many sort of game-changing moments is that guy? We're going to get on to another one, like you said. Yeah, what do you think about that? In talking about Thierry Henry, I think it's... To say that he's not a big time player because he didn't score in a final is a bit ridiculous a based on the fact player. that you wouldn't a big game player. Okay. Yeah. I'd say that to say he wasn't a big game player is ridiculous because you wouldn't have been in the finals without him scoring the goals to get you, mm. to be frank. You know, he was so integral to that Arsenal period of success that, you know, it's not a surprise that after he left in 06, there hasn't been a Champions League final or a Premier League title race really except for maybe that season that Leicester won it you know mm. there's there's a definite correlation between Henri leaving Arsenal and a period of less success than when he was there um, mm. I think that Henri himself you know the 2006 final against Barcelona which we'll get on to later I'm sure you know I, I don't think that you can have a go at him for failing to score in that final you know, I, I, I'm surprised if any Arsenal fan really has a critique about Henri at all, based on what he did for oh, your yeah. club. And you know, the number of times he scored, he's got he's got world famous goals against Tottenham, against Liverpool, against Man United. Which at the time, those are probably the three biggest games you can score in. Maybe Chelsea as well. I know he scored against Chelsea as well. So, in general, I think he did score against all of your rivals. Fair enough, making a point he didn't score in a final. I can understand that critique, but. As if, if I was an Arsenal fan, I don't think I could find a way to critique Thierry Henry, to be completely honest. The last thing I wanted to ask you about this goal specifically, because it is our only trip to Highbury, is take me back to what it was like being at Highbury and the difference between the Highbury experience and the Emirates. And do you feel like the Emirates has been a net positive for Arsenal since the move? All right. You've opened up a can of worms here, Carl. Firstly, that was very deliberate. Let's... Uh... <laughs> Let's put, like, I think, I think a lot of it has to do with me being quite young when I was going to Highbury. So, I mean, it was quite over, I mean, what, yeah, it was quite over, sort of, I mean, the ground itself, what kind of hurts is that I feel like with, with Highbury, you had something that was so unique, do you know what I mean? Such like, you didn't find another ground like Highbury. The pitch was a lot smaller than any other grounds. There was, it was an Art Deco sort of exterior. It looked like it looked lovely. Do you know what I mean? You had the marble halls. You had all these little, I don't know, these little features about it. That you went then when you moved to the Emirates, it was at the time it was quite impressive. I remember for the years it was getting built up. I remember driving past it and 
sort of super excited about getting built. But I mean, now it's kind of as a as a like aesthetically, it's it's just another ground. So another Europe. It's quite it's quite a European ground, if you know what I mean. Whereas I feel like I feel like um, I feel like Highbury had a real sort of English sort of characteristic about it. Do you know what I mean? It the short, not a lot of space between the 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 touchline and the fans. You used to take your corner kicks. The players were sort of the player that was taking the corner kick was essentially going into the front row of the of the ground. You know what I mean? It felt very sort of claustrophobic. Like I said, like I never my probably partially because of how bloody expensive the tickets are now at the Emirates. But we, my dad used to split a season ticket between me and my brother. So I used to go to Highbury quite a lot from from. From probably that, probably this year, probably the invincible year until until it it um until it closed. So yeah, I probably went to Highbury more regularly than I've gone to the Emirates. And yeah, I think, I mean, it's easy, it's one of these things, isn't it? Or what I always, I mean, it got branded Highbury the library. So there was a there was a sort of running joke amongst the English English fan base that it wasn't it was quite quiet. I mean, that's not how I remember it, and I don't know if that was. I mean, the Emirates is a fucking hell of a lot quieter than the Highbury for a lot of years. <laughs> Although, may I need to give a shout out to everything that the Arsenal are doing at the moment because that place is rocking. Like I haven't, I haven't seen that, and I don't think I've ever even. No, no, I definitely haven't seen that in my sort of adult life. How much atmosphere is getting generated in the Emirates at the moment? How much singing there is in the concourse before the games? I guess going back to Highbury, something I do remember is they used to they used to be able to smoke in the um in the concourse, and I just remember sort of being a kid, just with the head like the fog of smoke, which is the same when we used to go to pubs, Cal, when we were like when we were yep. going with the family to watch games. You used to come out and your clothes used to stink, and you never really used to know why, and it was it's because everyone was <laughs> chaining fags while they were watching the game. I just remember it being yeah had a sort of a lot of character, I guess, and I guess the Emirates sits a lot more people i don't think it's got it hasn't got the same sort of character as what hybrid did but maybe maybe that's a question of maybe that's a question of time maybe that's a question of how long hybrid was was there for do you know what i mean how long it was um how long it was around for I don't, when was it built 30s or something so it's it around for what over 70 years before so maybe those things sort of build up over time i will say like generally speaking about the arsenal move to the emirates i feel like that Going back to the Chelsea, the way that Chelsea sort of changed football, I do think that Arsenal's move to the Emirates was touted, I think it might have been 02, maybe 01, 02, there was this move to the uh, to the Emirates for a new stadium, to a ground that would rival Man United, to the 60,000-seater stadium and whatnot. And I think that those ticket sales that would have been generated was such a massive part of clubs' income. At that point, that was the way that clubs generated revenue, and that's how we could have. We were told you could afford the better players and whatnot. As soon as billionaires came into the equation, that made that all kind of redundant. And in in many ways, that put Arsenal even on a worse, more of a back foot because then we've had to incur all of this debt, whilst other clubs are sort of sort of filling the void that I guess Arsenal left after, after after leaving Highbury. Yeah, I do. I do think it did set us. It did set us back a set us back a few years. I guess kind of tainted, maybe even tainted Wenger's reign. Do you know what I mean? Maybe he he had to really try and he had to adapt his 
his transfer policy, how to adapt the players that he brought in, in order to try and in, in order to work with the resources that he had. I know a lot of that owed to him having to leave Highbury in order to pay for the stadium. I mean, I think we also lost David Dean. I was reading an article the other day. David Dean's got an article in The Guardian and he talks about, so David Dean used to be the, he wasn't the chairman. It was essentially like you'd have, it sort of played the role that Eddie was playing now for Arsenal. He's a player who's sort of involved, involved in recruitment for Arsenal. And he has, a, he has quite an interesting, yeah, he talks about how, um, how he kind of got ousted out of the club, essentially because he wanted, when he saw what was happening with Chelsea, he wanted Arsenal to have that sign up, that financial backing from, I think he was backing Usmanov at the time, who's, uh, who's the Russian oligarch that, that started to have, he did have ties with Arsenal, but he had ties with Everton later on. So I think he he sort of saw the way that football was going and knew that the revenue that was coming in from the stadium wouldn't be enough and wanted Wenger to have the financial resources from a third party, essentially, which he didn't ever get. And yeah, I think I think that sort of that 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 was the reason that we started to sell our best players every year. You talk about we talk about Thierry Henry, how how pivotal he was. You've got um Henri getting sold what after the first year at the Emirates and then it was who it was yeah. who after that do you know we went through a year as Arsenal fans man we went through every year at the Emirates losing our best player or lo- Fabregas. Like, I mean Fabregas I mean but even players that now you sort of like Adebayor going to City at the time was a big loss do you know what I mean or Nasri going to City like we, we don't really think for that those were like those were our talismans at that sort of that era, do you know what I mean? Or one of them, or one of the most important players in the in the side. And we had to go through that for a, a long time. And I think now we're well, we've had a lot more investment in the last couple of years, and I think that's starting to pay dividends on the pitch. To score from a starting position similar to that one, but on this occasion he's looked for Bergkamp, who looks for the Okay, goal number four, and this is a huge one in Arsenal's Premier League history for reasons that will become very apparent very shortly. We are at White Hart Lane in 2004, April of 2004, just a couple of months after the Thierry Henry, actually a few weeks after the Thierry Henry goal against Liverpool. And Arsenal arrive at White Hart Lane knowing that a point will be enough to secure the Premier League title for the 03-04 season. They are still currently unbeaten at this time, and they know that a draw is enough, but they'd obviously like to get the win. And Arsenal come flying out of the traps, and after just three minutes, we get Alex's fourth goal on his desert island, which is Patrick Vieira, Arsenal's captain, leader, probably one of their all-time Premier League greats, he gives Arsenal the lead in, again, another electric counter-attack. This is Henri on the counter to Bergkamp, who squares it across to Vieira and sliding in with a lovely finish. Three minutes on the clock, and Arsenal know now that they are on the road to securing the title at the home of their greatest enemy. Alex, take me back to 2004. Do you remember where you were watching this? And oh, take me through why this goal made your list. Okay, well... I mean, does it does it need much for an explanation? 
<laughs> keep this scum on their ground. At the old dairy, mate. At the old dairy, which used to be a, a, a stomping ground for some of the big Super Sunday, big, big televised games that me and Cal used to re- frequent. Um, I think this game's sort of, it's interesting because I've, I've said that I chose my list on the basis of the moment. And I f- almost think that this goal has taken on more significance the older I've got and the more, as much as I hate to say it, the closer that Arsenal and Tottenham have got to one another. Because yeah. in all honesty, yeah, so, so I, I guess it's taken on more significance the longer it's gone on. But yeah, winning, the, that's something that no Tottenham fan can ever rival. Do you know what I mean? I... I, I, I'm, I I don't want to. Got to be careful what I say here. No, no, no. Go but, ahead. No, I've got to be just... careful. No, I've just got to be careful what I say because I don't want to jinx anything. But I think winning, winning the league on your biggest rivals' ground. I mean, I've got something that Tottenham fans can never have a. Like, they, can, you, do you know what I mean? I've got one up on any Tottenham fan that ever tries to have a comeback in any argument. It's game over, man. We won the league on your ground. The biggest upset about this game, we can talk, we'll talk about the goal in a minute. The biggest gutting factor of it is, is that it, we didn't win. Which so this was a question. Cherry on the take. On, this would have been a cherry on the cake, but it's almost, it's funny enough, it's almost funnier. I don't know any Arsenal fans that is listening. Watch Cherry Henri talking about this game on YouTube because he talks about very innocuous, dirty, Horrible, I think right back that Tottenham used to have called Tariko. That was apparently jumping up in Armory's face. So like the Arsenal went out on the game. Um, they were told before they went out, don't don't celebrate because you're gonna be causing too much trouble if you do celebrate, so keep it to a minimum. Tottenham got an equalizer because of Jens Lehman. I mean, that's another podcast. You could talk about Jens <laughs> Lehman. That guy was an absolute lunatic. Um, he wasn't someone that you felt particularly I think actually, I think he's probably quite a good goalkeeper, but he just did not have the cool, calm, collected mindset that I think sort of characterises the best goalkeepers. But he, I think, his foot got trodden on, and he clumped Robbie Keane and gave away a penalty in the last minute. And Henri talks about this story about Tariko jumping up in front of him, and Henri's like, "Do you just do you realise what's just happened? That we've won the league on your ground, and all the advice of all the policemen that he listened to in the tunnel." And out the window, he takes the top off at the final whistle, goes over to the Arsenal fans, and it's absolutely bedlam. And yeah, man, they won the league at White Hart Lane. What more can I say? So this was a question I really wanted to ask. Still gets sung about. Still gets sung, and it will forever get sung about. I don't think, like I said, I don't think it ever. I don't, I don't, can you beat that? I don't. I don't think you can beat it. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna suggest an alternative in just a second. Okay. But what I wanted to know about this game, obviously, like you said, Arsenal go one 0 up through this goal with Vieira. They go two 0 up soon after, and it, you know, it looks like sorry, I should say it's Robert Pires who puts them two 0 up, and that, you know, after 35 it's minutes, a beautiful it like goal it's, as well. It's very, it was it a is. toss of a coin between Vieira and and Pires because they're both quite similar. They're quite similar goals in that they're mm-hmm. quite actually the first one's more of a breakaway. The second one, Tottenham sitting back, but it's just picking. It was a technical. It was again what I was saying earlier about the technical skill of those those players, man. They just play through the lines. Everyone was comfortable in the ball. 
you know, Perez passing to Vieira, passing to Armory, passing to Pip. Yeah. Magic you slice through them. Slice through them. And Arsenal are 2 0 up. Jamie Redknapp scores the goal to make goal. it 2 1. Yeah, 2 1 after 63 minutes. And then obviously Robbie Keane's 90th minute penalty earns Tottenham a point. And it's that weird situation where Tottenham fans are celebrating. That's we stopped Arsenal winning. It. We got a draw. <laughs> but Arsenal fans are celebrating. We won the league. So my question was is there any part of this that is, I guess, a little bit dulled by the fact that you didn't win the game? But equally, does it kind of make you enjoy think, it more the fact that Spurs were so happy celebrating a point while you I guys mean, are celebrating mate, a champion it's so funny isn't it because that kind of yeah that's some it's a very I don't know I feel like Tottenham have got a very small man small man syndrome man they got they got they got beaten beaten down on their ground got their got their rivals win the league and they they're celebrating a point um I think yeah I mean it did I, I guess it did at the time I guess, I guess you kind of, it would have obviously been a lot. Maybe, well, I don't. Yeah, might have been sweeter on the day if Arsenal had won. I don't think in the grand scheme of things. Do you do, do you remember? It's fun, it's funny that like, we're talking about goals and we're talking about moments here. But you you remember you lifting a trophy, or you remember the grand, the the great, the, the sort of the bigger picture of things, don't you? So I guess like as time's gone by, you don't really. Yeah, do you really remember it? No, it kind of makes the story a little bit funnier. Do you know what I mean, maybe, maybe had they not got a two-all, you wouldn't have seen all the Arsenal players out on the pitch celebrating in front of the the Arsenal ends. What's funny about it is, mate, that you have all the Tottenham fans that don't clock for about ten minutes and they're applauding the team or sort of celebrating the equaliser. And it's until the Arsenal fans go running over to the Arsenal corner and Arsenal start shouting championship, then they all start filing out. Like like we said, the the North London derby's taken on different levels of significance. In recent years, partly because it's become much more competitive, and yeah, that that's something. I mean, that's something that's just never gonna, that's never gonna go away for them, lot man. Won the league on their grounds. End of. My only question, my only question in relation to that is, you said earlier, how does that get topped? Is it better to secure the title on that ground, or have won the title and force them to give you a guard of honor on their ground? Are you, are you fucking insinuating about Arsenal giving you lot a card of money, you bastard? <laughs> <laughs> Such a loaded question, you little dick. No, but it's a genuine question. It is genuine. <clears> if you could have got a card of honour at White Hart Lane, would that be bad? <laughs> nah, man. Well, that shit lasts a... <laughs> I see what you did there, Cal. That la- That, that laugh... <laughs> That that last, I mean, do you what? Do you remember the guard? Of, maybe you do. Maybe you're that petty that you remember fucking Van Persie getting the guard of honor at the at the Arsenal ground, mate. In in hindsight, I mean, mate, as Arsenal fans, honestly, we've done it well, dude. We've done it well. We've won the league at your ground. We've won the league at Liverpool '89, which is going to get an honorary mention later because for reasons that we explained earlier, I. I, I I wasn't there to see it live, so I didn't feel that I sort of could warrant choosing it in my top five. But winning the league on a rival's ground. I th- it goes into a wider question, and maybe this is getting quite existential about football. Um, but for your American listeners, I think that there's something, there is a Tom, Tom, is it Tom or Todd Bowley, the guy that's just bought Chelsea? Todd I was Bowley. reading today about the, 
wanting like some sort of Harlem Globetrotters or North versus South sort of end of season game. Dude, that would not work in the Premier League because there's such tribalism. And I don't think yeah. that I don't think that gets picked You're up. You're asking Arsenal and Tottenham fans, Arsonal Tottenham players to I play mean, together. I mean, that's just, that's just not going to happen, man. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, and that's what, that's part of the reason, part of the reason that you love, and that's part of the reason I love Arsenal. It's almost because I hate Tottenham and I hate Chelsea <laughs> and I hate, do you know what I mean? It's almost like your identity comes not so much of you loving the club. It's because of what you're not, yeah, and you're not else. these lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's 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 quite pathetic, isn't it? And it's kind of no, it's not. I mean, I have to. I no, try to explain to someone. It is for someone that doesn't. Un- so like, I talked to me. Yeah, too, she fucking yeah. doesn't understand it, mate. Because it is, it's it's right, isn't it? You come out of a game. You're, I mean, man, we're we're twenty eight, twenty nine now. You yeah. seem to be twenty nine. Do you know what I mean? It's not it's not right to be really pissed off at, uh, but you are. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because it's tribalism yeah. and you feel real affinity with your team as much because you like them, as, but also equally as much as you hate the opposition. Listen, there's been games where I've been more happy that my rival, whoever that was, lost than we won. You know, like there's definitely days when like <laughs> I, I could enjoy seeing any of the teams I don't like get beat 3-0 way more than I enjoy, you know, a 1-0 scrappy win where United haven't played well. Yeah. Yeah. And that isn't that mad. Tribalism is a huge part of it. You're, you're, you're someone that you. I mean, this is how this goal. I mean, it is a beautiful goal. Obviously, granted. If I'm thinking about the five best goals, it's a beautiful counter attack. The way Armory picks up the ball again. The glory of that man talking about the the Liverpool goal. Armory's on the edge of his box, dribbles past a couple of players and plays. He's not only the goal scorer; he plays through that beautifully weighted ball onto Burkamp. The Burkamp, as we were saying, not the quickest out outran their left their right back, sorry. The ball from Armory, I mean Burkamp doesn't have to break stride. It's one touch Armory, one touch Burkamp. All perfectly weighted balls back in the net. Do you know what I mean? It's it's one end of the pitch to another in what, five seconds? Ten seconds or whatever? It's like yeah, beautiful Max. football, but like if we're talking about it as like you know, the reason that's so great is because of the tribalism. It's not because of, and I wonder that's not something that you have in the states. You know, we we sort of had this conversation a while ago. There's, there's um, you were saying about two is it NFL teams or NBA teams that hate each other, and there there's a genuine hate. But that's so I think that's so quintessential to football. Do you know what I mean? That's so, that's such an important thing about football is the is the is the us versus them sort of mentality of it. And that sort of gets you, yeah. I don't know, that, that, that sort of, yeah, it gets you, gets you excited every week about not only your own fixtures that are going on, but the fixtures that are going on elsewhere in the, in the league. It keeps you, yeah, invested in the whole sort of, in the whole, in the, in the prem. I'll end this one just agree? very nice. Yeah, I do completely. I mean, I think, I think it's, Tribalism is a huge part of why the Premier League is what it is. And Mm. just to end this one before we move on to goal number five, I'll end this on a very easy question for you. Yeah. What do you think of Tottenham? Hey, shit. What do I think of shit? Tottenham. (laughs) Thank you. That's all right. Henry getting clear. It's Thierry Henry. He scored. 
Madrid nil. Arsenal won. Okay, goal number five. We've made it to Alex's fifth and final selection on his Desert Island goals. And what a goal it is too. Uh, You've just heard the commentary from Peter Drury. And we are back in February of 2006. And this is Arsenal away from home in the Bernabeu against Real Madrid. This is the round of 16. Arsenal away from home getting the all-important away goal, which at the time counted double. And it's that man again, Thierry Henry, who we will give Alex a little bit more time to talk about as we Uh go through this. Thierry Henry picks the ball up just inside the Real Madrid half, skips past three, four, five Real Madrid players and plants with his weaker left foot an incredible finish past Ike Casillas, who was still one of the best best goalkeepers in the world world at that point. Right after halftime, and Arsenal finished the game with a 1-0 advantage that holds through the second leg, which was 0-0 at Highbury. And Arsenal progressed to the quarterfinals, where they would play Juventus, the semifinals, where they play Villarreal, and eventually the final against Barcelona. We're not going to talk about that out of respect for Alex. But this goal itself, that was meant to be a compliment. That was a little thing, right? That was nice. (laughs) This goal itself from Thierry Henry is an unbelievable goal. Just dances through the Real Madrid midfield and defence line. And he's dancing there. through Cal as well. That's, well, so that's something that's interesting. I'm going I'm to get to the Real Madrid lineup in a little bit here because it's a very interesting team. But Ooh, before we go there, before we go there, talk me through your memories of this Tuesday in 2006. Right. Tuesday, Tuesday night, goal? 38 Lancaster Road. Shout out yep. to, that, to that residence, man. ITV Since football. Moved. ITV football, man. Tuesday or Wednesday night, can't remember which one it was. Bloody hell, man! Had a few, had a few. I think Harry Hytakis give a shout out to Harry Hytakis. Used to come out, come around and watch the Arsenal games around at my house. Um, yeah, all crowded round, family, friends. Not you, because you obviously <laughs> weren't, weren't invested in it in the slightest. Oh, unless you wanted Arsenal to get absolutely spanked by Real Madrid. I don't think, mate, I don't think at that time, Real Madrid, I mean, they st- obviously, they're, they're still Real Madrid, aren't they? But that was the Galactico era. That was like, that was every, that was the era that Real Madrid was sort of assembling just every idol of every club and just bring them over to theirs. So it and should be think- said that, Arsenal in this game become the first team to win, win at the away Bernabeu. from home in Madrid. Yeah, the yeah. first English team to win in Madrid is win Arsenal. Winning the Bernabeu, man. Um, and it was one of those seats, man. So Arsenal had a had a knack. And I think this is, uh, I mean, it's forever been a, yeah, it's forever been a problem with Arsenal. But we've had a we've had a knack of turning up in. Well, we certainly did that that team because that that sort of that that was the beginning of the the O nine team that I'm talking about with Ed, uh, Eduardo and Adebayor and although well, that that was when and Hleb and Brzezicki and all these players we had a knack of turning up in those big games and playing amazing and it, it was the sort of te- games against the lower teams that we sort of used to come a cropper uh, but I don't think anyone gave us a chance at the Bernabeu do you know what I mean but we played. Honestly, we're all over them all game. Now, Fabregas must have been, I think, 17, 18, maybe, maybe 19, I don't know, young. 
Centre yeah. mid, pulling the strings. Reyes up front. Oh, Reyes on the wing, sorry. So I think we still had Lundberg at that time, but then Armory just... Well, listen, if you want it, if you want, we can we can play guess the lineups because I think they're both relevant in this discussion. So, like you've already listed, you had Henri, you had Reyes, you had Fabregas, you mentioned Fleb and Lundberg. So you're missing your other centre midfielder. Gilberto Gilbert. was the other centre midfielder. And then, so and then there's defense, a really man. interesting name in this back four. Senderos. Who's the back four? Yep, there you go. Philippe Senderos. Senderos. Man, oi, Send, give Senderos credit where credit's due that year. <laughs> Honestly, man, Senderos, when yeah, he was yeah. coming through, man, he was touted. This sounds fucking ridiculous, yeah, but Arsenal fans were <laughs> super pumped about Senderos. Senderos at under 21's level. He was like supposed to, like Barcelona won them, AC Milan won them, all the top teams in Europe, and he came to the Arsenal. Who did we have? Sol, either Colo Torre or Sol Campbell. And so, then it would yeah, have there's been no a sign, There's no sign of Colo Torre. So it's a Boué at right back, Colo Torre I mean, at centre back, and Flamini at left back. Matthew Flamini at left back. Yeah. Well done. Good for you. Well done. Mate, you're talking to. Hey, <laughs> you're not talking to one of your makeshift fans, dude. It's like you, I, I like, we should do a whole podcast and Callum, for the listeners, Callum can cite any United game going back to, actually this actually came, this is funny enough, this came a topic of conversation at a, a family meal. Because <laughs> <laughs> dad was like, well, Callum, dad was sipping his pint and was like, well, can, can Callum, can Callum quote games back to the 80s? And I was like, oh, I don't know, I'll try, I'll try him out. No, you're shaking the head. All right, but yeah, no, you're, you're talking to a real, a real, a real gooner. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone gave us a chance, man. And we did. We we outplayed them. We outplayed them, and that, and that, funny enough, for such a shabby back line, I think that team didn't concede a goal until two goals in the final. Yep. 1-0 against Real Madrid in the in the round of 16, 2-0 against Juventus in the quarterfinals, and 1-0 against Villarreal in the Fucking semifinals. Hell. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and we had that Raquel made penalty last minute, which I was in Papagonis. Yeah. Shout out to Papagonis as well. I in yeah, Papagonis for that, man. I mean, that, yeah. Uh, but yeah, going back to this game, Henri picks up the ball. Again, dropping from deep. This is what was so special. The more we talk about it, the more you realise about these iconic Henri moments are not him playing as a centre forward. It's him, just a baller, man. Just playing any anywhere that anywhere he could pick up the pick up the ball. And his athleticism was such that he could drop that deep and immediately transition something that looked like an innocuous sort of build up into a sort of penetrating attack. So he picks up the ball. I think he shrugs off. Well, you were going to read me through the uh, Real Madrid lineup, but if well, I remember yeah, so, rightly, yeah. if I remember rightly, shugs off Ronaldo. I know Ronaldo's in that picture, and Guti, and then Ramos, and then maybe another player as well before he puts it past Casillas. So maybe that's it. I don't know. Both. So the Real the Real Madrid lineup is Casillas in goal, as we said, Cicinio uh, at right back, who I'm not particularly aware of ever being a big deal, but Cicinio at right back. Like you said, Sergio, and then who started alongside Sergio at centre back? Oh, yeah. in that I know game? you're going to say Graveson. Uh, no, he was in midfield. He was in midfield. That's a good shout. But the Englishman who started oh, alongside Jonathan Woodgate again, yeah. a fucking Tottenham yeah. player, mate. <laughs> so Woodgate had 
Woodgate got subbed early on inside the first 10 minutes. I think he got injured. But then you obviously had the legend Roberto Carlos at left back. As you said, Thomas Graveson, Guti, David Beckham, and Zinedine Zidane with Robinho and Ronaldo. I mean, it's hardly an, it's hardly a bad Real Madrid team. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to. I'm looking at the goal now, Cal. Oh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? The best bit is the. Who's that bloke that tries? Is it Graviton that tries to take him out? One of them tries to, for sure. One of them tries, tries to him. chop him, and Henri's just so. No, that's a big bloke just trying to fucking clatter him. I think it is Graviton, you know. But honestly, mate, that was that was because that was our Galactico. Do you know what I mean? That was our, that was yep. our, that was, and we were lucky at that time as well because that was when all the fringe and the Vieira had left that season. Yep. Um, Pires was in the play that he was. Burkham was coming to his last season at the Arsenal. And Peter you know Drury I mean? in commentary. Peter Drury on commentary says when Henri scores the Gunner Galactico. That's what he calls Henri, and that's. Completely accurate in terms of what Henri meant to the team. So, just quickly, as we finish on this goal, what I want to know is, I'll give you two minutes, open floor. Explain to anybody who either isn't an Arsenal fan or isn't aware, what does Thierry Henri mean to you as an Arsenal fan, having grown up in the era you grew up in? What does Thierry Henri mean to me? I mean, Thierry Henri, when he came to the club, wasn't the player that he ended up being. So he kind of is very symbiotic of how great Wenger was as a manager. How Wenger, and he did it with a lot of players, not only Thierry Henry, but I guess Thierry Henry is the sort of poster boy of it. He made Henry into such a phenomenal striker that absolutely changed, changed the role. Like, I don't think... I don't know, maybe in definitely in definitely in my time watching football, I, I don't think there's there's still no one that redefined a position like Henri defined the the um the centre forward role. His drifting out and we had a bloody good left side in that time. We had what Cole Pires, Henri. Reyes. He yeah. I think he used to play on the right more, didn't he? Or did he play on the left? But either, either way, yeah, or Reyes. And there was that that drifting, the way he used to drag defenders out. That's why all, all the commentators, all, all the people that are now commentators that used to be professional footballers talked about him. It was impossible to mark because no centre-forward used to do that. No centre-forward used to play as a left winger and then have the pace that he used to have. So then he would drag. That's what Carragher talks about in that goal that we talked. That was he was so frightened of that you you drag him out to the left wing, and then Armory's dragged you out of position, and he's got the pace to just destroy you within a couple of seconds, and he's in on goal. Armory is everything that's great about Arsenal. The only reservation I have with Thierry Armory is that he did leave, and even though granted, I guess he was it, that sort of. You look at you look back on I mean that hurt, you know what I mean? That was a captain game. That was um and he went on to win the Champions League and played in an unbelievable Barcelona team, so it's, you could almost say that's fair enough. It still does hurt. But he's a good like he's a he's he's someone that came to a club that had no real connection to Arsenal and became a became an Arsenal fan. And became and he and he talks about that and you we mentioned off air Cal that you were talking you said that one of um, 
one of your previous interviewees or people that have done the podcast that talks about Armory's goal against Leeds. He always talks about that. He talks about that as being his best goal for Arsenal because that was the first goal that he scored as a fan. And to like, yeah, to, to have someone that comes into your club and just immediately, or not immediately, in a, in a, over a course of a year, really affiliates with the fan base, really sort of becomes a sort of symbol of your of your team and a symbol of again, it's quite synonymous with it being quite a glory period for Arsenal. Is he the best? Yeah, it's probably is. Is he the best player? To play, arguably, the best player to ever play in the Premier League. I don't think that. I mean, you're going to say I don't think Ronaldo had his best years at United. I'd say that. I'd say yeah. I'd say that Henri is the best player to play in the Prem. Yeah, and that says it all. <laughs> all right. We have reached the end of Alex's Desert <laughs> Island goals. Uh, by way of a very quick recap, we started with Carnu for Arsenal against Chelsea back in 99. We had Pires against Aston Villa in 2002. Then Thierry Henry against Liverpool. Premier League in 2004, obviously Patrick Vieira uh, helping Arsenal win the league at Tottenham in 2004. And then finally, Thierry Henry away from home at the Bernabeu in 2006 for Arsenal against Real Madrid. So the first question, Alex, obviously we always give people a chance to uh, do some honourable mentions. And I know you're going to run through a lot of Arsenal honourable mentions in a second. I just wanted to ask, was there any goal that you considered putting on your list that, was that an wasn't an Arsenal goal? It was. And if so, which goal would that be? Okay, interesting. It seems, it would almost be like we spoke about this off air, but we didn't. Shall I tell you one, Cal? <laughs> Shall yeah. I tell you one, mate? And it's one that you scored, my friend. <laughs> Squires. Squires with the overhead play. Yes, man. Man, my boy. <laughs> Because Cal, man, you don't know how much... I went around uni first year. If for everyone that doesn't... Cal, have you got to get, maybe get the commentary up because the commentary is absolutely legendary on this thing. But I... Cal, <laughs> Cal had gone off to San Antonio, man. And buried... I don't know who sent it to me because I don't think you sent it to me. I think I got it from Kathy. I think from Callum's mum, Kathy. But she sent me the... Callum scoring this overhead kick for the San Antonio Tigers. Is that right? Yeah, Trinity University Tigers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get this This really up, is... Boy. No one. No one's going to believe that I haven't asked you to say this. <laughs> Everyone's going <laughs> to believe that. <laughs> As you want to, Cal. I'll bring it up first. Best and foremost. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, honestly, oi, real talk. A lot of people in Brighton that you, you might never meet know about that goal, man. <laughs> I used to go around parties showing that goal. <laughs> but yeah, that... Very um, yeah, yeah. Oh, get the, oh, please get the commentary up. Please pick that <laughs> out and get it up. Um, in terms of other goals, we, we were talking about this on the weekend, me and my brother and my dad. Beckham against Greece has got to get a mention. Yeah. Oh, my good yeah. God. And uh, again, iconic moment. Remember sat in Lancaster Road watching that. I, the thing is, mate, you know what's... I, I hate so many of the England players. <laughs> yeah. Even though they've been some... <laughs> even though there have been some good goals, I can't bring myself to ever sort of... 
Yeah, I have to always check myself if I score if England's scoring if someone if someone scored that I don't 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 like essentially. Well, go go. I'll give you the floor because I know there's a lot of Arsenal goals you've gone back and forth. Like, right. So Arsenal wise, you mentioned FA Cup finals, and I know FA there's been Cup, other options. I can't believe I was chatting to Cal before I came on here. I can't believe I didn't choose an FA Cup goal. And there's a lot of stick on that. I mean, I could have gone more recent. Aubameyang's goal against Chelsea. Wow, that was that was a real special. I guess I guess some maybe a reason I didn't do that was because I don't really know. But maybe there weren't any fans in the ground. Maybe that sort of detracted from it a bit. But Parler's goal against Chelsea was unbelievable. Uh, back in 2002 to win the double. Mick, Michael Thomas, 89. I, I, my dad and brother were astounded that I didn't choose that, but, and I do have some affinity with choosing it because I, my, my granny May, shout out to granny May, used to have, uh, she used to have the whole 89, the full 90 minutes on VHS. So I used to actually watch that age, like, age, like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like whatever. I used to go around there every other weekend. I used to watch it religiously and. Michael Thomas charging through the midfield was, yeah, I mean, probably the most iconic moment in Arsenal's history. Again, I hate to say his name. There was a goal with Adebayor uh, that scored against Liverpool. You were thinking, I, I see you nodding your head. You thought I was going to say the Tottenham one, which is an unbelievable goal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that was an unbelievable goal. But the goal that I was going to say was when we were, I think it was the semi-final of the Champions League. Quarterfinal. It was a quarterfinal. And Walcott ran. And this yep. when Walcott was like yep. 16, 17. 16, yeah. I was, honestly, we thought we'd had, we thought we'd got, man, just like the best. Like the, <laughs> it was, it, who would have thought that Walcott would have turned out the way that Walcott played turned out? Honestly, that guy had, that guy didn't improve from the age of 16 on, on to when he was 28 or whenever he left Arsenal. He ran the, he had this unbelievable eureka moment, ran the length of the pitch and squared it. Only a, a, a only game that I cried afterwards because fucking Gerard died for a penalty immediately <laughs> after and we end up getting knocked out. I was gutted. And then another one I was saying off air to you as, as well as your overhead kick that you wouldn't need to give an honorable mention to. <laughs> <laughs> Was the uh, was the Reyes goal against Chelsea, and me and Cal always used to have, and I stand by this. I stand by this with anyone, and everyone's going to say it's mad. I've only had I've had one person agree with me in the past. As Jose Antonio Reyes, there was a point when that man was better than Cristiano Ronaldo, and in, obviously, obviously, it's a character. Obviously, he wasn't, um, I know, he wasn't cut out for the rough and tumble of the Premier League, essentially, which is obviously, is a, is a part of playing football and whatnot. He would have, he had a moment, he scored against Chelsea, basically. He scored a long range first, I think it was his first start for Arsenal, scored two goals, scored an absolute rocket. I was at the ground that day as well. I don't know why I didn't choose it, because I actually loved it. But yeah, I honestly thought that guy was going to be, a f- a f- he was so good. He was so good up until that game that you lot cheated us out of 49, 
fucking Rooney taking the dive. And I don't know how Ferdinand... Watch the highlights of that. I, don't, I bet you've never watched it since, but there's highlights on YouTube. How there's not about free sending offs and that is beyond me. But yeah, that was a game. That was a game that ended Jose Antonio Reyes. But yeah, those are the ones that I guess I'll, I'm sure there'll be more that I've missed out that I'd like to give a shout out to. But yeah, we'll save that. Maybe for another podcast. Maybe for round two, Cal. Honestly, listen, with the amount of goals that you could choose, there's you know enough for rounds two, three, four, five, six, one hundred percent. I mean, to be honest with you, I will need when eventually I do mine, I will need a host for that podcast. Hey, so maybe well, that's happening an early claim. Yeah, of course. So maybe we'll right? maybe we'll flip the, flip this round for maybe we'll call it episode hundred or something. If I manage to get there, we'll do mine on hundred. Yeah, I think I think, I, I think I'm gonna do my dad's on episode fifty and then uh oh, we'll go from there, maybe. Neil. I bet Neil's yeah. going to choose some real obscure numbers, isn't he? <laughs> it's what my dad does. One. I don't know if your dad does it as well. My dad always chooses, like, you ask him about what his favourite moment is. He always chooses one that you weren't alive in, just so you can't ever be like, oh, that wasn't a... it. Like, oh, Charlie George, 71 or whatever. You're like, all right, well, I was 25 years from <laughs> being born, so what can I say to that? Yeah. Yeah, so far no one's no one's picked a goal so far that I haven't been able to find video of. That's when it's going to get complicated. Is if someone says, you know, there was a goal scored in 1960, and I'm just like, well, it's not on YouTube, so I can't find it. You know, that's, like Cal, that's going to be complicated. What was the score between Aston Villa and United in 2006-07 away from home? <laughs> Three 0 <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you when it was. It was Boxing Boxing Day 2006. (laughs) So those are Alex's honourable mentions. Um, As you can tell, one of the biggest gooners I know, probably the biggest I've ever met in my lifetime. And Alex, just, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us your Desert Island goals. Cal, it's been my absolute pleasure, mate. Um, I love what you're doing. Really carrying on with the, the family tradition with the old desert island theme. I love it. Um, and keep on doing what you're doing, man. It's gonna go. It's gonna go places. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, uh, if you can take the time, just leave us a five star review wherever you get your podcast. Be that Apple Podcast, Spotify, or anywhere else. And yeah, we'll be back next week with another guest. Thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, cheers. <laughs>